Well, hello church. We're in the middle of a series on the deeper meanings of Christmas. And today I want to talk to you about a subject called Christmas and conflict. Good versus evil. And so you see, Christmas has always been a time of conflict from the very beginning. This is a harsh truth that many people really do not want to hear. We listen to the beautiful Christmas carols and the thoughts of exchanging gifts under a beautifully lit tree. We find these thoughts to be so peaceful and beautiful. However, the first Christmas, you see, was nothing like that, as the forces of evil in this world would do anything that they could to stop the birth of Christ. Now, the book of Revelation includes a startling passage that depicts a pregnant woman pursued by a powerful dragon who seeks her death. As she prepares to give birth to the child, the dragon hovers over her, wanting to destroy the baby. If you have your Bible, check out Revelation 12, verses 3 to 5. Quote, Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so you see, this is the Christmas story from a heavenly perspective. The woman in that picture is the nation of Israel. And the child is the Lord Jesus Christ. The dragon in this picture is Satan, who would be totally committed to destroying our Lord. This is the very reason that God sent Jesus into this world. Satan opposed it then, and he continues to oppose it even today, 2,000 years later. Satan would pull out all stops to destroy Christ at any cost. Now, God had orchestrated all of the biblical prophecies so that they would come together at this pivotal moment with Christ coming into the world. And you know that there are at least a hundred messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, all coming to a conclusion at this point. And God even was able to use the very tools of evil and manipulated them so that the prophecies would come to pass. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now what is left unsaid here in these verses is, is that if there were no Roman census, then Mary and Joseph would have remained in Nazareth. And the biblical prophecy of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem would not have taken place. And so this is how God works. You see, he uses the pagans, uh, the Roman census, forcing the entire world to go back to their home regions, which would in fact force Joseph 
to go back and register in his hometown in Bethlehem. Uh, and so this becomes a, a critical important. So, and so you see this, uh, that uh, even the pagans can serve God. They don't realize that they're serving God, but they do. That is, that is the sovereign will of God as he manipulates everything to complete the prophecies and scriptures. And so God was at work fine-tuning the timing in the Bible. Now, by the time Joseph and Mary arrive in Bethlehem uh, to find that the inn is full, uh, they had to move into the stable. This is well known. Well, this in turn uh, makes a symbolic statement about the way the world regards the child Jesus. The world who is in full control by Satan in every way had no room for him. And so you see the battle of the ages, good versus evil, the light versus darkness would begin. Now, it's important to note, and, and a lot of people fail to note this, that when Jesus came into the world, it was not to bring peace to the entire planet. Rather, you see, it was to bring peace into the hearts of believers, those who had accepted Christ. And so for those who mistakenly think that the Lord had intended to bring peace into the entire world, check out Luke chapter 12, verses 51 to 53. Quote, do you think, and this is Jesus now, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now focus focus clearly on what this means and the significance of what Jesus himself is telling you. There is a significant dividing line between Christians and non-Christians. And Simeon spoke about this very fact at the presentation of Jesus at the temple when he was eight days old. And we know this. Simeon said there when he took Jesus in his arms and blessed him in front of Mary and Joseph, he said that his birth would mean, quote, the rising and fall of many in Israel. Now that's an amazing statement. Uh, and so what this indicates to me is that there is an important and different Christian message being given here that emphasizes from the beginning there was a conflict at Christmas, a sharp division between the light and the darkness, between good and evil. And this is the part of the Christmas story that is often not told, often not revealed. And so what we see here in the very first century church at the very beginning of Christianity would be played out uh, for the next 2,000 years as Satan would make up his mind uh, and his authority to attack the name of our Lord and even the very celebration of Christmas as a battle of good versus evil. And it continues even today. You know, I recently saw uh, that a group of atheists were opposing the placing of Christmas wreaths on the graves at Arlington Cemetery. Can you imagine? The placing of Christmas wreaths on the graves. Because they don't want to in any way acknowledge the birth of Christ, uh, the sovereignty of Christ, the divinity of Christ. 
Uh, and so think about all the things that have taken place even over the last 50 years, how they've removed prayer from public schools, how you can't find a manger scene in a public school. All of these efforts really uh, inspired, I believe, by Satan uh, to uh, distract us from the real message of Christmas. And it all begins at the first Christmas. Now, <clears throat> we know that the critical principal color of Christmas is red. Now we do this because it uh, represents the blood of Jesus Christ that would be poured out for our sins. The, the blood of Christ reminds us, you see, of Satan's furious attempts to prevent the birth of Christ and later to maneuver his death through the hands of the Romans. Now I want you to understand something. That as we read Revelation and come to understand what's going on here, we see that really over the manger scene, the powers of evil are trying to destroy Christ, trying to bury him and kill him and stop it right there uh, so, so that they could continue to have dominion in this world, which they do. And so at the very first Christmas, what we recognize and learn is that Satan had an important uh, ally. And that ally was Herod, the king, the puppet king of Judea. Now, he reigned during the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. This was an awful man. This was a man addicted to power. And he was the perfect partner, you see. The perfect partner for Satan. Now, we know that he murdered uh, his mother-in-law, two of his own sons, and his favorite wife. He had several wives. But his favorite wife, he murdered. He murdered anybody who he viewed would be an impediment to his authority. He murdered to stay in power. And now he becomes a central figure of the evil that comes into focus at this first Christmas. Now this story comes tightly into focus during the Christmas story when the wise men come into Jerusalem. And you know the wise men come out of uh, what is really today Iran, current Iran, and they travel 800 miles. Uh, and we know that they came out of the school of Daniel. And so they were familiar with some of the scriptures. They saw the prophecies of Daniel. They looked in the stars. They were astrologers familiar with the stars. And so they had seen the star moving. They saw the image of the stars. And I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to their heart. And so they came to worship what they believed would be the king a new king. They came to worship. That was, that's what this was about. And so they traveled 800 miles by faith. Uh, and so uh, we turn to Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 8. And these people were not Jews. All right, They were not Jews. Uh, but, they, but they were coming to worship the child. And Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 8 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? When we saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And let me stop you there. He was disturbed because he would do anything to stay in power. And also notice that those who were around him in authority with him were also disturbed. These are also evildoers who see the fact that their authority and power could be removed. And continuing on there in verse 4, when he, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah 
was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And what I notice here, which is so poignant to me, is they knew immediately, they knew immediately where the scripture was that related to the Messiah. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Yes, here's where it is. Here's where Messiah was born. And here's, here's what it says. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And very clearly. Now what you don't realize is that Bethlehem is seven miles down the road from Jerusalem. Uh, and so here they are. They tell the Magi, they tell the wise men, yeah, you've traveled 800 miles. You have to go seven more miles down the road, make a right-hand turn, and that's Bethlehem. Would they themselves go? No, because they were arrogant. They were full, full of religiosity. They were full of themselves. You see, they didn't need a savior. They weren't interested in seeing what God was doing. They had already determined that they were full of whatever religion that they needed. And they didn't want to go and see a baby. That's not how they determined that the Messiah would come. Uh, and so the, the Herod uh, called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he had quizzed them. And so he sent them to Bethlehem with instructions. He said, go and search carefully for the child. But as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Yes, he'll go and worship him. No, he would go and want to kill him. And so this was an absolute lie. And so the wise men, uh, who were important people, who advise, advised various kings and rulers, uh, were influential and powerful. Uh, <clears throat> and so they understood. The Holy Spirit spoke to their hearts. And so they saw that this man was a threat. Uh, and he was a threat to the child, a uh, threat to the kingdom of God. And so they recognized this is how satanically inspired people act. Uh, and, and so, to me, they wouldn't go back to Jerusalem. The, the Lord spoke to their hearts. Don't go back to that, that man. Don't let him know what you have found. Uh, and, and so, really, you see a juxtaposition here of so-called pagan people who don't really know God, who have not been steeped uh, in Scripture, versus those who are called the high priests, the rulers, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, who sit there around Herod and knew immediately where to find the answer, but knowing to find the answer, you see, is not enough. The question is, have you submitted to God? Have you bowed before the throne of God? Uh, and so this becomes to me a very interesting lesson from God, showing you how the power of evil can influence people. Yes, these were so-called religious people. Yes, they were religious rulers, and yet I believe they were influenced by evil. God had obstructed their eye, not God, but Satan had obstructed their eyesight. Uh, and so, yes, they would find the answer, but they wouldn't go down the road uh, to, to see the King of Kings. They would miss, effectively, the greatest event uh, in the history of the world. Yes, they knew precisely where to look for it, but they themselves wouldn't go and see it. What a sad commentary uh, about, really, how, how religiosity in all doesn't answer the day. These people were not interested in a baby. Uh, and what I would say to ourselves, can we find ourselves today unwittingly in the camp of these religious elites? 
Can we find ourselves so tied up with religiosity uh, or about the rules and regulations of our own faith that we don't listen to God, that our hearts are not open to God? Uh, and so that's what happened here. They wanted a Messiah who was a political leader. They didn't want a Messiah that was a baby. Uh, and so they would reject the very Son of God. And you see, this is what happens in spiritual warfare. This is it right in the beginning. The conflict between good and evil. Uh, and it becomes important for us to recognize this. Now, the other lesson here is that God reaches out to people in many different ways so that they can understand the message. God doesn't speak the same way to everyone. And as the Lord told Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And so, in other words, if a person is truly seeking God, truly looking for God's will, God will find a way to speak to him. God will speak to his heart. You see it here. The wise men, they were pagans, but God spoke to their heart. They traveled 800 miles to see the baby. They worshiped the baby. Uh, and to me, uh, it's so poignant uh, as to how God does this. And what I love about the wise men, it's not only do they come um, and worship, and that's what they did. They worshiped uh, Christ, but they came and brought these incredible gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, and, and we know these gifts had great value. Gold and frankincense were of great value. We also know that within two years, Mary and Joseph would have to flee uh, Bethlehem, flee it, and go to uh, uh, Egypt because Herod would try to murder every baby two years old or younger in order to destroy Christ. Uh, and so this gift of gold and frankincense would be used by this impoverished couple to be able to travel to Egypt. Now think about it. They didn't have any, any connection to Egypt. They didn't have family there. They were going there uh, to escape murder. And yet God had provided the very mechanism, the very gifts that would provide the sustenance for them. But what about the myrrh? What's the, what's the significance of myrrh? Well, here is a poignant reminder to us. Myrrh was a funeral perfume. That's what it was. And so I believe that the wise men had been spoken to by the Holy Spirit that this baby would one day give his life for his people, would die for the sins of the people. And so they were effectively anointing his future death, even then, as a child. They were recognizing us. What a powerful picture this is of God providing these people, the conflict between good and evil. And you see light piercing the darkness in such a powerful way. Uh, and so... I'm so impressed with, with the wise men coming in, even though they were not Jews, even though they had not been trained, yet they come 800 miles and come and worship the king. And yet those in religious authority wouldn't travel seven miles down the road. And so God warns the wise men, don't go back. Don't go back to, to Jerusalem. Don't go back to Herod. Don't go back and speak to him. Go another way. And so he does, but Herod becomes furious when he realizes that they would not come back and speak to him. And then he becomes effectively the butcher of Bethlehem. That's what he was, the butcher of Bethlehem, giving the order that all the baby boys, two years old or, or under, would have to be put to death. And so you see, Jesus understood the prophecies and the nature of his mission. He knew right from the beginning. He understood 
that he would not be accepted. He understood that he would be fighting his entire life Satan, the authorities of evil. And he recognized that he came to this world uh, to die as the innocent and perfect sacrifice for the sins of humanity. That was clear from the very first day of his birth. Every day that Jesus would live would be a day of conflict and warfare. As Satan would pull out every possible stop to defeat Christ. Uh, and, and in fact, it would be men and women of faith who would ultimately join him with Christ. Uh, who would join in this battle against evil. This is where we are today. We all are part of this battle. We have joined to the body of Christ. Once we are saved, God looks at us and attaches us to the body of Christ. Uh, and so we now are part of the fight. We are fighting the evildoers. Every day that we are alive, we are being used by God to advance Christianity, to advance the light against the evildoers. Now, to me, the message of the first Christmas, of the birth of the Messiah, the first message of the birth goes to the lowly shepherds. Now think about that. We know from other readings that the shepherds are the lowest of the low. They're on the absolute bottom of the economic chain. They have no civil rights. They are despised by people uh, and, and all kinds of people of faith. Uh, and yet God delivers the first message of the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds themselves. What an amazing story. It didn't, God didn't bring that message down to Jerusalem. He didn't bring the uh, angels and march through the temple and make the announcement. He brought it into the fields with these people who were low and rejected uh, in every possible way. They had no civil rights. They couldn't even go into the temple and be part of the temple sacrifices. Yet they guarded the very animals that would be used in those temple sacrifices. Do you see how God is? How God rejects the, the arrogant uh, and the proud and instead embraces those who are humble and broken in spirit uh, who, and lowly, recognizing that they need a savior. That's the point of this battle of good and evil. It's the evildoers who are arrogant, filled with pride and religiosity, who don't believe they need a savior. And that's juxtaposed to those who have a broken spirit, who recognize they desperately need God. And that's what this first Christmas is about. And so what you see here now with the birth of Jesus Christ, the spiritual war entered into a new phase. In essence, the conflict would rage uh, through three historic phases, if you study it. Uh, in the first phase uh, came which what we would call the prophetic phase. That was from Adam to Christ, <clears throat> in which when we read the scripture, we see the prophecies recognizing that there is an ongoing spiritual battle, but recognizing that there is a, there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come, who's going to break the chains of evil. Uh, and, and so the goal of Satan uh, during this first phase of spiritual warfare was to destroy Israel, because Israel was chosen to be the messenger, and Israel failed. Israel dropped the ball. They would not be the messenger. And so Satan had succeeded in that regard. Now the second phase was the birth of Christ himself. Uh, and now Satan recognized that he had to destroy Christ. It, it absolutely destroy him so that none of the prophecies could be fulfilled. And so all of the efforts, all of the efforts uh, surrounding the manger were directed to destroy 
or compromise him. Now, God protected Jesus during this time, even though Herod killed all of those young babies. The gifts of the Magi allowed them to go and travel to Egypt and be safe. And this is another example how God protects his own. You see, when we are part of God, when we have attached ourselves to God, God holds us in his hand. No principality, no power, no evildoer can remove us. This is the lesson that we learn here. God has called you to do this. And through, throughout his entire life now, Jesus was under an ongoing assault uh, on his obedience and submission to God. The final stage is a continuing battle that goes on today. We are all in it today. All of us in this church. All of us who are listening to this message on the radio. All of us are now called to be part of this battle of good versus evil, of light versus darkness. Because on that day, more than 2,000 years ago, God pierced the darkness of this world under the dominion of Satan once and for all for eternity and put Jesus Christ, God himself, in the form of a baby who would eventually die on the cross for all of us. Yes, the battle starts. Yes, good versus evil. But I can tell you, I read the last page in the Bible. And we win. And when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as the baby in the manger. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah. And out of his mouth, the Bible tells us, a sword will come out and all the evildoers of the world will be struck down one time. Yes, that's how Jesus will come back. And we, all of us, when we come back behind him in the army of God, we will be behind him as he does this. What a glorious day that will be. Uh, as good will triumph over evil. As Christ will finish his sojourn to this world. What a great passage this is. I hope this continues to resonate in your heart uh, as we continue to reflect on what God did for us on that great day. Let's bow our heads as we close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for what you have done with your son. I thank you that you've given us Jesus. And Lord, make us mindful of the fact that there was so much evil going on at that first manger, at that first Christmas day. Yes, we, we reflect on the lights and the gifts and the carols, but we know that there was a far deeper message going on as you were forever deflecting evil, as you had given us a lifesaver, a rope, so that we would be saved forever. Thank you, Father, for doing that. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for everything that you've given us so that we can have eternal life. Be with us and let us reflect on this as we go out into a world and help to see the world that they made themselves change with this message. We put it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.